Wouldn't it be great if Christians could talk about the Bible and various issues without fighting or arguing or name-calling? Imagine if we could just sit down, have a cup of coffee, discuss, and even if we disagree, treat each other with respect. That's what this podcast is all about. Kind, loving, Christian conversations. It's not a sermon or a Bible class. It's just followers of Jesus talking about life and faith. I hope this show encourages you to have these kind of conversations with people in your life. I'm Wes McAdams, and I want to welcome you to the Crosstalk Podcast. With the recent passing of a new abortion law in New York, my Facebook feed has been full of discussions about abortion, and I'm always thankful when I see Christians stand up in defense of human life. However, I'm often saddened by some of the angry and almost hateful ways I see Christians lashing out against pro-choice supporters and lawmakers, so I posted a plea for Christians to voice the truth lovingly and reasonably. Soon after, I saw that my good friend Jacob Rutledge posted something which made me realize while we're both very much pro-life, we may not totally agree on how Christians should voice their pro-life convictions online, but instead of arguing with my friend and brother, I invited him to join me in the following discussion so that all of you can hear how brothers who don't see eye to eye on something should discuss their agreements and discuss their disagreements. I hope you enjoy this conversation and find it helpful. Well, at first, the first thing I thought of was, and I, and I think this does play into it, is I I think how we engage with it and what I like what I post about on social media and what you post about on social media is in direct reference to what we see in each of our timelines. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and I've thought about that before because I think that like, you know, what you're posting about and what I'm posting about may be in complete response to completely two different threads of thought, you know, Um, and, and I think that there's a place for both. You know, and um, and I, I think that we have to. I don't know. Generally speaking, I think um, it, many times we try and make it an either or situation. Situation when I, I really think it's a both and, depending on the context you're in. And so you're. I know we're mainly talking about how we engage the world on it, and I think we need to have a tempered and graceful voice. You know, which is one of the points that I made in the caveats that I made. You know, when when I uh, began my posting about it on social media was, you know, it's got to be done. These things have to be articulated in love and in grace and in humility. And sadly, you know, you, you probably saw the opposite of that. And I did as well. I saw some of that as well. Um, with, with that, I, I, I think for me, I think we just need to be careful because, and, and I, and I've done the same thing here and, and I have to watch myself on this. I think we need to be careful about, um, kind of creating a space where there's no, there's no space for moral outrage mm. for the Christian, you know, or there's no place for zeal. Um, and we, of course we, you know, sometimes that zeal can be misdirected and, and misguided and, uh, you know, spoken in, in a wrong way. Um, but, you know, I, I'm thankful that I still see Christians who are very passionate about things like abortion. Um, and that, you know, their hearts hurt, not only for the, the children that will be lost at a consequence of, of new legislation, but also for the women who are victims of, of such legislation and, and that type of an agenda. Um, and so I guess, I think, and, I, and I'd agree ahead, with you. I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Um, no. uh, whether I'm sorry or not, I'm going to interrupt you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but no, I, I mean, I agree with that. And I, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that, that Christians have this, this passion and, and zeal and that they're heartbroken and, and even outraged. And I think that all of those are appropriate responses. My, my fear is, and, and I, I guess I just have this mental image that is so often, at least in my mind, confirmed by what I see on social media and when I interact with people in, in real life, not just on social media. Uh, but I, I just have this mental image and I'm afraid it's, if I have it, then I'm almost certain that that people in the world do as well, that especially the secular world has this mental image of Christians as being angry. And I think that there is this, this idea that Christians are an angry bunch. We're angry at homosexuals and we're angry at, at abortion and we're angry about Democrats and we're angry about, you know, the Congress and we're 
angry about, you know, and there's just this, uh-huh. this idea that there's this red faced, enraged Christian and that that's the face of Christianity in America today. And that, and, and so often it just seems like what I see on social media, it confirms and, and it's not, and it, it's a caricature for sure. It's absolutely a caricature. And there's Christians all over the, the political spectrum and there's Christians all over, all over the place on different issues and how they, how they voice those concerns. But so often right now, it seems like to me that there's so much out there that simply confirms that idea that we are an angry bunch of people. And I think that as I read through the New Testament, that's not the sort of call that the apostles and Jesus give to followers of Jesus is to be an angry bunch of people and who are known for being outraged. And and I, I feel like anytime these issues come up, that there's not there's not a voice that's tempered by love and grace, but there is just this unfiltered rage and and f- almost a fury. And and then when when I encourage people to be more loving and gracious as they engage these issues, then I then I see Christians who say, well, no, 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 we're we're too passive. We need to be even more enraged. And I think we can't handle any more rage. We can't handle any more outrage about these things. So it's just interesting to to me to see uh, those sort of differences of opinion on on how outraged we should be. Yeah, I, I think I think that uh, I think you make a good point, um, and I think that's why I, you know making caveats on our post and and making disclaimers and you know trying to represent both sides of the both and is important uh, as well. You know, because you know there's there's been oh you know on any given issue, whether it's abortion or homosexuality, any any of the hot button issues today, you know, there, there have just been posts that I have just been absolutely appalled that Christians have made. And, you know, technically are they right? You know, that, um, whatever it is they're talking about is wrong or evil. Well, yeah, they are. But the way that they say it in, I'm just like, Oh my, you know, what, 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 what good is this going to do, you know, for, for the world? And I, and I try and be conscious of that as well, because I have quite a few worldly friends that are on, but here's the thing. I think, I, I think here's the balance here. I do think we need to say, listen, you know, rebuke those individuals or caution those individuals who are showing this type of fury and rage. Um, but I also think it's beneficial for my worldly neighbors to see that I'm 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 heartbroken by this. You know that that um, I, I think it's beneficial for them to see, hear me say, uh, you know, th- this is what's happening. You know, th- this is what's happening. You know, they're they're allowing the murder of children. You know, and uh, this is the process that's going on. This, as you know, as Christians or from from their standpoint, as Americans, as neighbors, we should be outraged by this. You know, we 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 should be we should be outraged that as a as a country, we're 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 not only signing such legislation into law, but we're you know we're glorying in it. You know, we're rejoicing over it, and um, there there should be some type of you know. Uh, uh, what I think scripture refers to is as righteous indignation. Now, I do think how we are perceived uh, and, and how we go about saying that mm-hmm. matters. Yeah, you know, exactly. How we go about con- conveying those thoughts absolutely matters because I think there's a way that we can have, for lack of a better term, a controlled righteous dig- indignation, you know, to where I think when we're articulate but graceful. Um, articulate but humble. Uh, we're we're bold, and when I mean bold, I don't I don't. Scripture when it talks about being bold, it never means rude or or, or brash. Right, it never exactly. means that. It means it means speaking the truth with clarity. Mm-hmm. And so when we speak the truth with clarity, and we allow the truth to speak for itself, you know that's the channeling of that righteous indignation. And um, I'm glad that we have Christians that are upset about that. And my my thoughts were mainly. Um, almost like it, it just seems like every time that comes up and I, and I really wasn't, you know, I, this is a post that I'd been thinking about for a couple of days. Sure. So you had reached out to me and, and we had talked about that a little bit. Um, and, um, and, and it just seemed like there was this idea of, well, you know, we really shouldn't. And I know that's not what you were saying. No, yeah. it really, it wasn't really even what any of these people were saying. Sure. They weren't saying we shouldn't speak out against it. But um, at the same time, there weren't any caveats in some of those posts about, listen, I'm just as upset about this as you are. This is very, 
I, I, I get it. It's so bad. You know, it's really bad. Um, my heart's breaking with you. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated with this, but at the same time, let's just be mindful of the tone, how we engage people, be, be mindful of, we want people to really remember that we're not just looking at the children, but we're also looking at the women who are victims of this mentality, you know, who are being victimized by this. And, uh, we want people to know, like I preached on Sunday, you know, we talked about abortion being morally reprehensible, you know, morally condemned, but we got at the end of that point. I said, but we also need to realize that this is not the unforgivable sin. You know, this, this is not something that can't be forgiven. This, this, our God is a God of grace and a God of love and he loves these children. Yes, but he loves the women too. And he wants to receive them. And, you know, so I, I think, you know, how we go about articulating it and, and it is important, you know, um, to try, try and present both and that side of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I mean, I think about so many situations and stories that I've heard over the year and, and it's really easy to get, you know, to form your, your sort of your viewpoint and the way you interact based on anecdotes, you know, just based on personal experiences. And, and we certainly don't want to do that. But I, I remember one time I was, I was preaching at a congregation and I said something and I mean, I was, I, I gave a, a specific date and I think it was just the year, but I said, and I don't remember what year it was, but I said something like, um, you know, some of you, are holding on to something that you did back in 1985 or whatever, and you you just can't believe that God would forgive you of that thing that you did, and you just you, that has stayed in your mind ever since. And a lady just was weeping afterwards, and we got to talking, and she said that was the year I aborted my child. And, uh, and so we talked about how she was a new person and she was forgiven and, and, and that was washed away, but she had such a difficult time and it wouldn't surprise me if she still has a difficult time believing that, uh, that she's forgiven. And I, and I can't help, but think every time I see these posts that people make and I I know that their intention is to prevent further abortion. And I appreciate that. And I, and I so appreciate that. And then that's what I want too. In fact, I I started my post the other day with my question is what's going to lead to fewer abortions. That's, that's what I want to see is less, less children aborted. That's what I want to see. I want to see less women in this sort of pain. And, um, you know, but, but every time we post just graphic pictures and and I, I suppose there's a place for that, but, but when we post just graphic things and we say these graphic words and we, we use words like daggers, then, then even these Christian women who have repented of, of their past, we're just pouring salt in their wound. And we come across so often as if their sin is somehow so much more reprehensible than anything that we've ever done. And that uh-huh. they're, you know, they're this and we're, you know, not nearly as bad because we've never done. And it's just, oh, it just breaks my heart the way we have this conversation. Um, and, and again, like you said, I mean, I agree that, that this is something that, that, that we must speak out against, but, but how we speak out against it is so very important that we don't end up one pushing the other yeah. side so far away that we can't even have a conversation anymore. And two, damaging people within our own body um, who have been caught up in this and that, you know, that this is their past. Well, and I do think, and I, I'm with you on the pictures thing. I See, the way I talked to our congregation about it was, listen, I'm not going to go into detail about yeah. what happens in an abortion. Um, I think that's something you can study privately on your own. Um, I do think it can be beneficial for people to see some of that because sure. some people don't really know what it, what happens. Right. You know, they're just, they're just unaware and, and really they're not really convicted about it until they really study, sure. you know, what actually happens, you know? And I, I was talking to a woman yesterday and she was like, well, how exactly do they go about doing that? You know, and she was an older lady yeah. and I kind of explained the process to her and she was like horrified, you know? Yeah. And rightly so. But at the same time, I, I do agree that I also think we need to realize that 
Facebook's a public platform and we need to be mindful of not everyone scrolling through Facebook is ready to see those type of images on their daily basis. For sure. So, you know, that, that's, that I I agree. I think that's a, there can be a place for that and, and a benefit to it. Um, but at the same time, we need to be very cautious about how we go about talking. In fact, I took some material out of my sermon on Sunday because I just thought it just was not appropriate to to discuss that. And, and I think it's also important to remember that we don't want to give into caricatures of either side. Right. Right. And I tried to t- I talked to several members of, of our church about that afterwards in individual discussions we had because I said, listen, not every woman who's getting an abortion are the ones that you see you know, maybe at the women's march in DC, that's or, exactly right. You know, very in your face about it, yeah. and you know these public figures. I said most of these women are caught in a situation, a desperate situation, that they feel like abortion is the only option. Yeah, and they have no knowledge of what we discussed this morning about the development of a child and how early they can hear the heartbeat and all this different stuff. I've seen videos where, you know, people engage with women who are coming out of these clinics and they talk with them in a very graceful way. They're like, Hey, did you know that you actually can hear your child's heartbeat right now? And they're like, what? I didn't know that, you know? And so there, and that's why I'm seeing the women are victims themselves Mm -hmm. of this mentality that's being pushed on them and they're in a desperate situation. And, you know, that's where I talked to him. I said, and I said in the sermon, I said, you know, it's good for us to talk about this because knowledge is power and Mm -hmm. we need to know. But at the same time, if all we're doing is talking about it, then that, that doesn't do any good. You know, I mean, unless we're willing to go and go volunteer at the pro-life center down the road, you know, if there's a single mother here in the community or, you know, she's pregnant, Go to the elders and bring her before the elders and see how we can help her. You know, if you're willing to foster kids, foster kids. If you if you're at a place in your life where you can adopt, adopt these kids. You know, don't just let it be about we're against abortion. We hate abortion, and I do. I hate abortion. I don't hate the people who commit abortions at all, and, and I don't even hate the ones who are, who are pushing for the legislation of abortions. But at the same time, I, you know, I think it's kind of this, this tent, there's a tension there, right? Like, mm-hmm. cause we're so morally outraged at what is occurring, but at the same time, we're called to this deep love and compassion for the people who are enduring this. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that's important to not fall into that caricature as well, mm-hmm. that these people are, you know, that they're just, you know, running to these clinics to have abortions, you know, yeah, sure. and, uh, uh, because they're not, I mean, uh, a lot of them are in very desperate situations. It doesn't make the act any less horrendous, right? but it still allows us to see that, um, th- these are approaches, these are humans, right? I mean, these are, these are people that are often victims of a cycle and of, and of a mentality that, that they don't even realize that they're a part of. Yeah. And uh, it's sad. I mean, it's, it's a very, very sad situation. Yeah. It it makes me think that, that we, we have to, and I think that this goes across the board, no matter what the issue is, that we have to sympathize before we argue with people. We have to sympathize and understand that's my biggest thing, that if you're going to debate an issue, whatever that issue is, you have to understand the other side. You have to at least attempt to understand where they're coming from, what are their motivations, what's going on in their mind. If, if for no other reason than just practical reasons, you can't, effectively persuade anyone unless you understand where they're coming from. And I think that that has to be true, even with this, this law that was passed in New York. I mean, what exactly is motivating them? What exactly motivates that? What are some of the, the ways that they've used to persuade people to their side of the argument? And you may totally, like I do, totally disagree with the conclusions that they've reached and how they've reached those conclusions. But unless you understand where they're coming from and what drives them, then it's going to be impossible to persuade them. But at the same time, sympathy and understanding, it it helps us to be gracious in the way that we talk to people. And whether that's a, a religious discussion, if we're talking about somebody, you know, we disagree with them doctrinally, we have to understand where they're coming from before we can say, hey, now listen, I know 
this is where you're coming from and, and here's where you are. And I, I see what you're, what you're saying, but I disagree because of X, Y, and Z. It, it helps right. us to, but when we just, and we talk, what bothers me is that, that I hear people talk about those on the other side of the political aisle or people on a different side of an issue, like they are the embodiment of evil. And so we, we make them out to be the devil and there is a devil and there is evil involved, but, but we have to understand that, that in one way or other, we've all participated in works of darkness and we've all allowed ourselves to be the pawn of Satan. But that person is not the devil. That person is not our enemy. They are, they are a captive of our enemy and our, our job, our mentality needs to be, we want to rescue them from that. We want to, we want to take every thought captive to, to Jesus. And, and, and so I, I guess I just, it bothers me so very much when we treat these people, whether the, the political pundits or the political, you know, candidates that, that push these issues or the, the women themselves or the, the doctors or whatever, as if they are the enemy and they're not. And, and we have to see things from their perspective. Well, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think that how we how how we go about uh, definitely talking about even those individuals within and, and it doesn't as you're saying it doesn't really change our response to the issue right the the issue is still the same of trying to get less abortions trying to get this you know the, the people see, to see this but it just it really changes how we go about responding to it yeah uh, and being wise and 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 uh, and I think really that goes with any of our uh, generally speaking, you know, whenever there is an event like this, you know, the, the first reactionary responses are not the best ones. I mean, what happened with the situation with the Covington Catholic School mm-hmm. uh, over this past week shows that, you know, um, it's like, can we just make a rule as a human society to just wait for 48 hours yes. to respond yes, absolutely. to anything, absolutely. you know, and just, and listen, you might say the same exact things you were going to say initially, but it's not going to be with such vitriol, yeah. you know, and such hatred. Um, let but, it simmer um, a little. Yeah. Let, just, just let it. And, and I, you know, we recently talked about that within Romans 13 and, you know, I think some people were challenged by that because I said, listen, you know, how you talk about your political figures, that that's a, that's something that God's concerned about, yeah. you know? Um, and I think we struggle with that in America. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of politicians that I disagree with that, you know, I, I would never vote for or support because, because they do take such a, a stance on a pro stance on abortion. Uh, doesn't mean that I hate them or anything. Yeah. Um, I, I, and if you, and I, and I don't care what party it is, I, listen, if they're Democrat or Republican, if they're going to support, uh, Abortion. I'm not going to support them. Democrat or Republican, if they're going to support pro-life, I'm with them. You know, because to me, that's like generally one of the biggest issues. I mean, see, and, and, I mean, and let me push back on that just a little bit, and because I, I think that this is where, and, and 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 obviously, I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not pushing back against you saying that, but I, I think that one of the the mistakes we've made, and and I've made, is telling Christians that that this has to be the single issue on which votes are decided, and and I think that we've pushed, we we have said, look, I'm willing to overlook a lot of bad things that my politician does or my political party does, but I'm not willing to overlook this. And, and so, and, and then we have pushed away, especially, you know, Republican Democrats. So a lot of Republican Christians, I think, have pushed away their Democrat brothers and sisters in Christ who are pro-life, but who are willing to vote for Democrat candidates because of some other issue. So they overlook the abortion issue in favor of these other issues. And we overlook different, or I say we, Republican Republican, and I'm kind of at a point where I'm almost anti anything, but that's a whole other issue. But uh, but you know, but Republican Christians have a tendency to to say, but you can't overlook this, and I understand why. I understand the moral gravity of abortion, uh, but at the same time. We have we've sent this message to our our Democrat brothers and sisters in Christ that they're not real Christians because they're not willing to we're willing to overlook 
what we call minor issues, and, and they're not. But, but some of the issues that Republican Christians overlook are pretty huge issues sometimes, too. And, um, and I, I think that sometimes we almost insist that Christians be a one-issue um, one voters, you know, and just, just decide their, their vote on. And I've heard Christians, I've heard preachers say, you have to decide based on that one issue alone. Well, and I, and I'll, I, yeah, I'll, I'll disagree with you slightly on that because I, I do think that there are certain issues that supersede others. I, I'm not not to say that they don't overlook those things. I think, well, there are obviously on both sides of the aisle Christians who overlook a lot of glaring faults uh, with politicians just to support a party. Um, but at the same time, in my opinion, I think there are issues that supersede. For example, you know, if we had like, you know, it's the crass example here, but, you know, if you had Martin Luther King Jr. and, and Hitler, you know, running for an office, um, you know, you, you would probably say, well, Martin Luther King Jr., you know, he, he had a couple of affairs. Um, he has maybe some economic policies I don't agree with, but he also isn't supporting the murdering of Jews. Um, so that, that central issue would kind of take over the overriding faults of Martin Luther King Jr. And I know those are two opposing characters, but I think when you're talking about the murder of children and, and politicians that are going to push such a pro-abortion stance, not, not, ambivalent, not kind of, well, we'll, we have this to discuss it, but very much pushing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that's definitely something Christians need to consider. It doesn't mean Christians have to vote. Christians don't have to vote. Yeah. Uh, I I don't, I don't agree with that. I know there are people who feel like Christians have to vote. I have close friends who feel that way. And I've told them I disagree with them on that. Um, Christians, I think can be politically inactive if they so choose to be, but I do think that. Which I tend to be, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, and in my opinion, I, I think that that has to be at the top of your the top of your list when it comes to not to say that the underlying things, you know, don't matter what it whether it's their their moral uh, character, as we saw in this last election or um, you know, economic policies or immigration policies. I think that all of those need to come into play. But for me, when, when you if you have a candidate, which which is is promoting and pushing and saying they're going to do everything they can to, you know, get Supreme Court justices or people into positions of power to where, you know, that that abortion can be as freely on demand as possible. To me, I I mean, I don't see how a Christian cannot cause that if they're going to vote, that cannot cause them some pause Mm -hmm. to say, if I help get this person into office, that that should at least prick your conscience some. I mean, it should cause you to think and consider over that. And, um, and again, but at the same, you know, on the other side of that, uh, a a vote is only one thing. As I went back to earlier, that's, it's much easier to go and vote than to go and volunteer at the the pro-life center Mm -hmm. down the road. Mm -hmm. That's exactly. And of course, Jesus was living during a different time and, and, uh, but he didn't come to, Past legislation, he came to transform people through the gospel, and that's still how people are transformed today. You know, our 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 goal as Christians is not our our number one goal is not to get the politicians we need into particular offices, but to preach the gospel and call for people to repent and to believe the gospel. I mean, that's our central message, and that transformation still changes people's minds and hearts today. So that's exactly right. um, And I think that that's I think that that's one of the biggest issues here amongst Christians is that you know I I tend to see you know, and I'm going to be frank, you know, I tend to see Republican candidates over the last, you know, over my lifetime that, that pander to the Christian base and tell them that they will, you know, pass pro-life legislation or that they'll, you know, reverse Roe v. Wade or whatever. And, Uh and that's what it tends to be. It tends to be pandering. And, and we support those candidates because we think that whatever bad, whatever evil, and we even say things like we support the lesser of two evils, you know, and I've just gotten to a point where I'm like, I just, I don't want to support any evil. And, and I've just come to a point where I believe, as you just expressed, that the, the way that we're going to change the world 
world for the glory of God and for the cause of Christ is, is not through, you know, arguably some might say not primarily through or not through, I might argue not through, but, but some might say not primarily through political means, but through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. And I think that that's what we've got to focus on. And I think sometimes we end up we end up dismantling the very power, which is the church, the pillar and the support of the truth. We end up, we end up dividing the church over these political candidates and political expediencies uh, that we're trying to use to bring about good in the world, whether that's on one side of the aisle or the other. And there's some Christians that are trying to use, you know, economic means, or some that are trying to use moral means, or whatever, all to you know, bring about good. (laughs) And because of that, we've divided ourselves. And because we've divided ourselves, we've, we've lessened the impact that the church is actually going to make through the proclamation of the gospel and through, like you said, acts of loving service, volunteering and fostering and helping and supporting and loving and blessing people in this nation and across the world. And and I, I just feel like we spend so much time promoting candidates and promoting political parties that we we end up becoming a force that could be a force to be reckoned with because in it, the spirit of God is, is at work and, and we've, we've settled for political issues. Well, yeah. And I, I think there's two things I'd like to say about that. Number one, I think if, if we commit as Christians to voting for principles and not for candidates and saying, okay, these are principles that I think need to be promoted. If you're going to vote, you know, these are principles you know, life and, um, you know, and, and uh, the, the uh, truth and um, the care for my neighbor and these things, you know, and have these principles and, and look at the candidates and say, OK, are these going to fulfill these? You know, and again, I mean, if you're if you're going to vote, um, if we're going to give all of our life as a sacrifice to God, I don't see how our vote can't be included within that. You know, and so it has to be governed by somewhat by Christian principles, I think. But at the same time, um, and that's what I've always, you know, especially I'm, I'm almost with you. I'm, I'm just so tired of the political side of things. And I do feel like politicians sometimes, uh, well, not sometimes, you know, all the time, <laughs> pander to certain you know, parties. Um, but the other side of that, you're talking about things that we can do. I also think an important thing for Christians to do, and I talked to the church here about this, was um, to engage people in discussions about abortion. You know, don't don't let it pass by um, when you and your neighbor are discussing and they say, well, you know, it's just a women's right. You know, it's just, just a women's choice or, you know, they kind of dismissingly make, you know, the pro-life movement seem, you know, uh, against science or against women. Don't, don't, don't allow that to go unchallenged. I mean, you know, speak to them gracefully and humbly, but say, you know, I, I actually disagree with you on that. And, um, and here's why. Um, because if you don't say something in that moment, we, we, we tend to, as humans to, to exist within our own echo chambers. Right. And, and we never hear opposing viewpoints and that person may never hear an argument for, pro-life and, and against abortion unless you speak up at that moment. And and so we have to be willing to, to be bold. That's what I'm talking about, to be bold in our personal one-on-one conversations to where we challenge people in a loving and in a graceful and a humble way. Let the truth do its work. And, and it might be something simply as, you know, have you ever actually you know, looked into what happens in an abortion, mm-hmm. you know, or have you, have you ever considered, you know, that the vast majority of scientists actually say that life begins at conception? Did you know that? You know, and just kind of challenge them a little bit on it. It doesn't mean you have to say, all right, time to sit down. I'm going to lecture you on what you, it doesn't have to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think part of, if we're, I do, part of this is speaking the truth and love, speaking the truth to our neighbor and saying, listen, this is, you know, and, uh, and coming to, to, to open doors that maybe they would not otherwise have open to them. Yeah. And, uh, and you, and people still can change their minds. I don't like this idea of saying, well, people won't change. Yeah. Well, people yeah. will change. Yes. People yes. do change. I mean, yeah. you're, we're, we're seeing growth. We're seeing uh, the pro-life movement has gained ground, even, especially even in younger generations. And so, don't don't tell me that people can't change. They're not going to change if we don't 
if we don't speak the truth and if we don't serve people in love, well, certainly they're not going to change. But if we show them the grace and the truth of Christ and we present them with an alternative life through the gospel, mm-hmm. then they can change. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is, you know, it's abortion is one, one aspect, one facet. And I, I love the way that you said an alternative life. I mean, it, this is, it's part of a larger conversation. It's a conversation about sexual ethics. It's a conversation about, um, you know, li- the way God designed family. It's a, it's a conversation about so many different things about life and about, uh, about love and support and community and family. And there, there's all of these things. And, and, and abortion and, and choosing life, that's, that's one facet of this larger conversation and, and bringing people into a life of discipleship and showing them the beauty of that and, and what, that can, what that can be and, and, and what Jesus has to offer them. Um, and I think sometimes we just, we make it about being anti-abortion and it needs to be couched in terms of a larger conversation and a life to which we are inviting people and and showing people how good it can be and i i think that for the most part most people that are outside of Jesus and that come to faith in Christ and and put Jesus on in baptism, for the most part, it's because they see in us something they want to experience for themselves. And, and, and that's my biggest concern with the way we tend to have this conversation is that there's nothing about the way that I see Christians conducting themselves that would make someone who is of the opposite mind begin to consider what we're saying and consider what we're offering. Um, but, but science does play. And I, and I love what you said about that. And, and I've actually been, been thinking about and reading about, you know, the way that, that even the church, that Christian thinking, Christian philosophers and Christian theologians over the centuries have changed their thinking on abortion and when life begins uh-huh. because they didn't know. I mean, you know, 400 AD, AD 400, right. they didn't know when, what a, what a baby in the womb was like. I mean, they had no idea at three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, 20 weeks, they didn't know what that was like. And and now because of science, we know more, we know that they have sensations right. and they feel pain and their heart beats and, and they, they, they're thinking and dreaming and we know that now. And so that has influenced even Christian thinking and Christian philosophy and what we believe about life. And, but that's all been a matter of reasoning as a group. We've reasoned together to say, okay, well, if this is true about an infant in the womb, well, then what, how should that inform the decisions we make about a mother with child? And, you know, and all of that is a part of a, a reasonable conversation, a scientific, a philosophical, a Christian, a theological conversation that we've been having. And, and that's what we need to continue. We need to be able to continue those types of conversations if we actually hope to make progress rather than just let our voice be heard. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think that it's, it's interesting because I even told the congregation here with my, we, we started off, we didn't start with Bible in the sermon yesterday. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> what kind of preacher are you, we, Jacob? We start with the Bible. <laughs> no, but we started with the scientific part of it. And I said, and I even told them, I said, listen, when I talk to people about abortion that aren't believers, uh, you know, I don't, I don't talk to them about the Bible. Um, I, I go to, from, from the scientific perspective. Yeah. And I think the, the evidence is irrefutable. And the, and the greater the technology is, the, the more right that is is shown to be. And and that was my point Sunday morning was giving our church the tools to engage people in conversation to where they can say, this is true. Now, I will say this, and I, and I actually talked to a close friend of mine about this. Um, and I said, you know, because he was saying how... Um, you know, someone complained that he talks about abortion too much when he preaches, which he really, he really doesn't. I don't think, I mean, how can you talk too much about, you know, what I think is the greatest civil rights issue of our time. But, um, but at the same time I told him and something we do need to be mindful of. I said, you know, you can preach on the same topic three or four times a year and people generally aren't going to remember it. Um, but if you preach on abortion one time, they're going to remember it for three to four years. And the reason is, is because it's such an atrocious topic and it's such a sensitive topic and it, and it hits us to our, the core of our moral sensitivities. And so I said, you know, you might only have to preach. And I know this sounds crazy to some, but you might only have to preach it once every three to four years if yeah. you know that, because people will remember it. 
Um, and, and, you know, and, and the re- I'm just saying that because um, how it's perceived, you know, and, and how much you talk about it. But, but I do think January is a good time to talk about it because it's the, the uh, anniversary of Roe versus Wade and March for Life and all that stuff's going on. But um, anyways, yeah, that's a side point. You, you know, one thing that, that keeps coming into my mind and every time I encourage people, you know, if you're going to engage in this conversation, and I think you should, I think Christians should, I think people, Christians should engage their coworkers and their kids and their, their, you know, whatever, wherever they find themselves, whatever their context is, I think that Christians should engage people or at least participate in the conversation when, when these types of things come up. Um, but, but when I, when I encourage them to do so gracefully and, and, and reasonably and in a loving, courteous way, the pushback I get sometimes from preachers, sometimes just from Christians is references to, uh, prophets in scripture, you know, whether it be, you know, whoever I'm, I'm not going to name different prophets, but one of the, one of them, obviously, is Jesus flipping over the tables, uh, but but there's all of these John the Baptist. I guess I will name some, you know. But there there, <laughs> there are these these moments where God's men, where God's spokesmen, uh, whether that be God Himself in the in Jesus um, or Elisha or John the Baptist or whomever, do some incredibly condemning, you know, I mean, when they, they bring condemnation on the people, whether uh-huh. through their words or, or whatever. And, and, and I hear people use that as sort of their justification for usually their boldness on social media, because they wouldn't talk to, and I think anytime somebody talks to somebody on social media where it's anonymous or where, where you're doing it through a screen in a way that you wouldn't talk to somebody in real life, that's a problem in and of itself. But the, sort of their justification for their their vitriol, for their, you know, just unbridled rage is their image in their minds of these prophets. And, and I don't know, I just have a, a serious problem with that sort of application of scripture. Because when, when I read what the prophets of God, like Paul or Jesus himself or, you know, whomever was speaking for God and teaching the people of God how to to act and how to interact with people in the world. You know, I mean, I read, I read that we're supposed to be patient and kind and self-controlled and, and, and all of these types of things. In fact, in Titus chapter three, he, he says to treat people with perfect courtesy. Um, and, and, and you might say, well, but, but that doesn't fit Jesus flipping over tables or whatever. And I, and I, I sort of think that that that's part of the role in Jesus' case. It was the role of the the temple cleanser of the not only a prophet but God Himself, the Son of God, cleansing the temple uh, and driving out the money changers. And and you think about these prophets, and they were they were appointed spokesmen for God. And I just feel like my role in the world, or the or the the church's role in the world, is just different than that. I do think we we should have a voice in convicting the world of of sin. But but if I really fancy myself to be a prophet that can can issue declarations of condemnation upon whole groups of people um, I I just think I think maybe we're we're sort of trying to apply um, examples that weren't or, or apply stories as examples that weren't necessarily given to us to be examples of the way we ought to interact with the world. Yeah, I think there's a possibly. I mean, I would like to try and put a little bit different spin on that, and I understand what what you're saying, and I and I think that at times those <laughs> instances are used again uh, for people who just want to bash somebody over right, the head. Right. right. I mean, um, I, I think there's a way that as a church we can channel that temple cleansing, you know, you know, uh, prophetic spirit um, without reducing ourselves to those those. Uh, type of, of things. And, and I think one of the ways is I view Jesus turning over the temples almost like as a startling object lesson, Yeah, you know, um, to where he's throwing the, 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 the and, and also remember that the, the group of people that he's doing it with, this isn't, this isn't the common people that he's doing that exactly with. right. He's doing it to religiously corrupt leaders who should know better, who yes. are taking advantage of people. And I think that that is where a lot of my frustration grows is from people who are taking advantage of, of these women and these children. And I, and I do think that that type of, uh, you know, a shocking uh, object lesson is occasionally 
uh, useful. You know, like yesterday, I ended my sermon. I did not offer an invitation. I probably shouldn't have ended, uh, you know, on uh, on the podcast. <laughs> but I, I did not. I did not offer an invitation or anything like that. I ended the sermon by saying, I, I put a picture. I said. I ended by saying, you know, some people ask why I talk about such a, such a heinous topic on Sunday morning. Um, and I put a picture of my son, my, my youngest son, a cute picture. Of course, I think all pictures of him are cute, but a cute of picture of him kind of looking into the camera. And I said, because of him, because of him. And I said, and because of all of our children. And then I said, and because of what the Proverbs writer says in Proverbs 6 and verse 17, that the Lord hates the hands that shed innocent blood. And I said, and if we're not willing to help these children, and if we are not willing, and I had a graphic up there uh, that I actually got from my father-in-law that's these hands that are holding this baby, uh, the, this this sweet little child between his hands, and then the baby fades out and the hands turn red, as in blood. Mm. And I said, um, I said, if we're not willing to speak out and to help these kids when when they have no one to defend them, then their blood is on our hands. And I said, and God help us. And then we sang the invitation song. And for me, that was kind of a temp, if you want to call it a temple cleansing moment, because it was, I think a, a righteous indignation a, a, against these atrocities that are being carried out against these, these children. And, and those are moments where we turn the tables, not by, you know, going up to someone and saying, Oh, you're such an idiot. How can you do this? You moral monster and everything yeah. else. But, but, but speaking out boldly and, and using at times these moments to say, God, come on, you got to wake up to what's going on here. You know, wake up. You know, I think that's what G- the Jesus yes. and the prophets did. It was sure. wake up to, you know, and I think John the Baptist was doing, he's like, listen, you know, God is going to, if you don't repent, God's wrath is coming and he is going to cut the trees down. He is going to lay the forest bare. you got to wake up to this. And he's, He's speaking to the people who are receiving him well, but his his tongue turns sharp whenever – who does he see coming? The the leaders, right? Yes, the leaders yes. that he knows know better. And they are, and he is – John the Baptist is righteously angry at those men because it's like – to me, it's like a father who is angry, who is defensive and on guard of his child, mm-hmm. you know, who is wanting to protect his child. And there's a, and you see that like the psalmist takes comfort in that. That's a whole other discussion. But, um, but anyway, so I think there's a way to maybe channel that spirit of, of righteous moral indignation without lowering ourselves to, you know, this type of uh, aggressive, uh, a language. So it, it goes back to what we said at the beginning or what I talked about at the beginning. I think it's a both and. Yes. Yeah. And I agree um, with that. Not, not an either or. Yeah. And, and as, of course, as humans, we tend to go to <laughs> the either or. That's right. right. I mean, yeah. we, we tend to gravitate toward that which we're most comfortable with. And we tend to react to what we are seeing the most of in our Facebook feed, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, me and a friend of mine were talking about that the other day was, you know what your your post was different than my post, but you might have been seeing things differently, and I'm sure you were seeing yeah. different posts than what I was seeing. You know, and you know if if, if it's it just it just it's it's all Facebook's fault. That that's what we need to find. It's just <laughs> those those algorithms. Where they we'll turn our righteous indignation on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I do think it's generally a a good. Uh, I do. I will say this it is it, even though I think that the. And as my my post said, uh, I do think that there is a place for moral zeal and moral outrage and indignation tempered by grace and love and articulated in a way that's Christ exalting. I do think it's generally a good principle to give ourselves some time to respond to these type of public events before we get to the keyboard. Because um, what you're saying might be important, but the way in which you're saying it, unless you're a very controlled person um, – it probably needs some time to sit yeah. and to think over and to meditate on, to pray about, pray about it, you know, pray, pray before you post on Facebook, pray that what you're intending to say actually is what you say and what you're trying to get across actually gets across in the spirit that you're wanting it to get across in, yes. you know? Yes. Uh, I think that's important. I, I mean, man, I, I think that if, if we all, all of us took the advice that, that we're talking about to take time to pray to sympathize with the people with whom you disagree and to try to see things from their perspective, um, to, to say what you want to say, um, 
with a desire to bring glory to God and out of love for the people with whom you disagree and out of love for the people that might read this and and whatever, all of these things, man, would make us, if we would just, you're you're right. You're exactly right that, that we could, we can, we can channel the spirit of, 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 prophetic proclamation um, through the church and and be the voice of of love and reason and 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 truth in the world that the the, the world desperately needs um, but you're exactly right that the way that we say things is just as important um, as as what we say and and man I, I I just I have such high hopes I really do I really believe that that the future is incredibly bright for the church and and I think that we are going to make and continue to make, as we have for 2,000 years, make a tremendous impact on the culture. Uh, but we have to be very, very careful in the way that we do it. And I think these tools that we have, like social media, um, have the power to help us uh, to be a, a more substantial voice for change. But I think that if we're not careful, uh, that they might also be detrimental. Well, and I also think it's good for us as brothers in Christ to be able, like you, like we've talked about before, to be able to sit down at the table and say, I don't necessarily agree with you on that or yeah. how you went about doing that without, you know, at the end of the day, you know, saying, uh, you know, that, you know, I, I don't think any less of you for for any of that. And, and I don't think you think any less of me right. because, you know, what we posted or or uh, whatever it is. I mean, if we can't sit down and discuss these things, uh, then we'll never have unity. So, I mean, you've got to be willing to, to listen to both sides and to kind of, you know, focus on what we agree on and uh, help each other to be better in, in both of these areas and uh, for the glory of Christ, because it's not about us. um, And it's not about, you know, our agenda, our priorities is about the Lord and wanting to make sure that we're united and, 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 helping children and helping women, helping fathers, helping families, and doing all we can to, to promote life and the gospel yeah. uh, in the church and in our, in our nation. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope it's evident that Jacob and I agree on far more than we disagree. Primarily, we both agree that all human beings before and after their birth are created in the image of God and should be protected and treated with dignity and respect. When you engage with someone over the abortion issue or any issue, follow the instructions of Jesus and treat them as you would want to be treated. Remember the words of Paul in Titus 3, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, I want to share with you two ways you can help support what we're trying to do. The first is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast to help others discover the show. And the second way you can help is by checking out Logos Bible Software. Logos has partnered with us to give our listeners a great discount. So go to radicallychristian.com slash Logos, L-O-G-O-S. I think you'll love the Bible software and you'll get a great discount by using that link. As always, I love you. God loves you, and I hope you have a wonderful day.